Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Matthew. And I'm Jasmine. This is The Adventurer. In this episode, we're going to cover Chapter 5, Spiritual Warfare. What do you think about that off-cuff, Jasmine? Well, I've grown my entire life knowing what spiritual warfare is because you've ingrained that and verbal judo into me since I was like knee-high to a grasshopper. So I think that is definitely a really important topic and something that everybody should understand because the battle is often spiritual, especially whenever it comes to hidden wounds. Indeed. Indeed. Well, we're going to cover chapter five, and it's pretty intense because there's a lot to know about spiritual warfare. So I'm going to lead us off with reading the first sentence in this chapter. The war between good and evil rages not around us, but within. I think that that statement is inherently true. I think that there is a lot of good and evil in the world, but in order to equip ourselves with the weapons and tools necessary to prevail over one or the other, we need to be able to make sure that our own systems are good to go. You know what I mean? I absolutely know what you mean. One of the tactics that we use is take in our external training and apply it to internal combat. And so... Take you as an example, as a paramedic, you know how to revive somebody or how to apply pressure and stop the bleeding, if you would. How would you, with that kind of concept in mind, how would you take that training that you learned in the world and apply it to your internal battles? Well, I think a better metaphor for this is like internal affairs. Whenever you have a platoon right? Let's say there's a platoon and they're getting ready for battle. You want to make sure that everybody within that platoon, everybody within that squad, everybody within that team, whatever the case is, is good to go. That there's no internal beef, that there's nothing going on that's causing strife, that would cause their communications to not be excellent, that would cause them to trip over each other or, you know, whatever the case is before they go out of the base or out of the wire to fight the enemy. You want to make sure that whatever's happening inside is strong or in your marriage. You want to make sure that your marriage is strong and that your team dynamic is strong before going out and trying to conquer things as a team. So just like that, you want to make sure that your internal systems are in check and that there's no big conflict or if there is a conflict that the bad wolf isn't prevailing in your decision making before you go out into the real world. Yeah, we'll definitely get there. But you talked about the team and I I speak about a lone warrior. And in our society, we instill kind of a team concept. Many of us have lost the art of accountability, which is something that we've talked about before. But while this is spoken of earlier, kind of the notion of a personal responsibility within the confines of spiritual warfare is definitely worth covering. So at what point do you think an individual should take that team dynamic that we're so driven by you got to be a team player you got to be this be that but what happens in my mind is we become reliant on other people let's take baseball for example a sport i grew up in i I can't play a game of baseball all by myself i can only play one position at a time Mm -hmm. but we have to rely on other people which is I think is very important in spiritual warfare, but you first and foremost have to learn your position, master your position and get that right. And without that concept of personal responsibility on the team, 
then you become the weakest link on that team. Yeah. Moving on to battle rattle, a topic that I cover in this book and something that a phrase I learned in, in combat is when we, uh, as combat personnel, we don our, our gear, our personal protective gear to go into uh, hostile encounters, if you would. That'd be an armor, helmet, eyes and ears, you know, knees and elbows, whatever the case may be. And we talked earlier about how we apply what we've learned on the outside to the war on the inside. And I really just wanted to touch base on this really lightly because it's, it's a really easy concept when you protect yourself externally, you, you got a checklist, right? On the range, if you go to shoot, on a range, you need to protect your ears and your eyes. So how do you protect yourself internally from the onslaught of negativity? What is a battle rattle? No, it's what well, I just described. A battle rattle is what you put on, the gear that you wear to go into battle. What's the thing that people do whenever they're like screaming while they're charging at the enemy with a sword in their hand? What, I thought that was a battle rattle. No, that's um what is that called? Is it battle cry? Battle cry, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I talked about battle cry in here later on. So battle rattle is gear, yep. battle cry is scream. Yeah, yeah. Lead charge. That's interesting. I never heard that phrase before. Is that a military phrase? It is. Yep. And you know, it's applicable to like law enforcement, SWAT, um, I guess you could apply it to fire rescue as well. If they're needing to don their personal protective gear to go into fight a fight a fire, they could essentially call it battle rattle. So when the Bible talks about the armor of God, is that what we're referring to here? It is. Oh, okay. No, spiritual battle rattle. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of preparation of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and sword of the spirit slash word of God. All right, so let's break that down real quick. Okay, so it starts with the belt of truth. The belt of truth, integrity. Yep. Be true to yourself, be true to others, never lie, never cheat. And I think that's kind of hard in a society that's very politically correct and very cognizant of how their words and emotions and actions affect other people. And where that's important to be considerate of those, bringing it back to last chapter, being considerate, uh, it, it's also important to not let the truth be too far gone because you're so anxious about protecting how somebody feels about something. Yeah, don't whitewash it and don't be surface level right and remember that sometimes truth is going to sound like hate to those that hate the truth that's yeah. just the truth of the matter but bedside manner is always a good thing it's something that i had to learn a hard way yeah there's a really cool dynamic between nurses and doctors that i've noticed working at the hospital is that the doctor's kind of blunt and straightforward he'll go in he'll tell it how it is and then the nurse has to kind of come up behind him and then mm -hmm. use her bedside manner and like yep. he's like you have cancer and then just drops the mic and walks out yeah and she's like oh crap, now I got it. Like yeah. this family's freaking out. And yeah. so it's a little, it's important to be able to be straightforward and blunt like that. But it's also important to have tact whenever you're saying things, especially to a culture and a society that's very up in arms about just using the wrong vernacular or the wrong verbs or the wrong adjectives. 
to describe somebody yeah. or something. I, I absolutely hate that about our society, currently speaking. Uh, I, I loved having uh, a surrounding of of brothers and sisters who just spoke like it is mm-hmm. and not have to worry about offending somebody. And it's, it's, it's very difficult for me as a veteran to get back involved into the civilian culture because of that. People are sensitive. And it's gotten worse since the COVID pandemic. It's gotten real worse. Everybody feels self-entitled. They're, they went from isolation physically to isolation spiritually. And I think it's hard for you not only as a veteran, but as a Christian. Yes. And I mean, we are the Christian, we as Christians are facing a lot of wrath and pushback right now because unfortunately people don't like to hear when we speak our truth and our truth comes from the Bible. It is what points us in the morally correct direction. And when we bring light to that, when we even have the audacity to disagree with somebody else's beliefs, it causes a lot of tension and dissension, and it's really unfortunate. Uh, I think we talked about uh, naming our truth, your truth, uh, a while back, and how it repulses me Mm -hmm. to to use those phrases. Mm -hmm. It's the truth. There's facts, and, and the truth is black and white. You know, Ben Shapiro says something. It's really funny. I I don't watch a lot of Ben Shapiro and I'm not into him or Joe Rogan or anything like that. But he says, uh, facts don't care about your feelings. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the truth of the matter. You can't change a fact. You can't change something that is inherently true just because you don't like it. Well, that's the big push by non-believers. Mm-hmm. They're wanting to say, well, the Bible is your truth. Well, no, there's a lot of facts in the Bible that's backed up by history and the truth about the Bible is that can only be acquired in one way. It's not through drugs. It's not by having some kind of breakthrough yoga style, whatever the case may be. The truth is that Jesus Christ brings the answer to our broken world. Well, I think it's also really important to not only be equipped with the ability to speak the truth, but also to make sure that you do have the truth correct yes you know what i mean and i'm skipping a couple of the things and i'll circle back around but the sword of the spirit slash word of god i have been when i was younger in a couple theological debates with atheists who don't believe what i have what i believe which is fine you know everybody is entitled entitled to their own belief system and we respect that right exactly and unfortunately, I was not very well versed in the Bible at the time, and they had questions, and I just, I did not know how to answer them because I, I wasn't well versed. And now that I've entered this next stage of my life in my um, my spiritual journey, I have found that I do reference the Bible a lot more. I am in my Bible a lot more, just making sure that I do have the answer to when people ask me questions. Of course, I'm not going to have the answer to everything. I mean, just trying to fathom eternity, trying to fathom Mm -hmm. and wrap my head around the fact that God has always been and will always be, like that is mind-boggling. Yeah. So, of course, we're not going to have all the answers, but having some or being able to turn them to the right passage for them to read and interpret on their own and pray about and meditate on is really important. I think when people say, this is your truth, that they're actually referring to, well, that's been your experience, mm-hmm. right? Lorenzo Madane Jr., 
he he really helped me make a breakthrough with and he didn't even realize it he would always say well in my experience buddy that i absolutely love that phrase so i kind of adopted that from him and that has helped me achieve this kind of newfound perspective. So when people are saying oh, that's your truth, no, 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 let's not do that because mm-hmm. the truth is a fact. My experience tells me that the solution to suicide prevention is this, which is what I wrote in this book. But somebody else may have a different experience on how they were able to overcome suicide. Maybe they didn't find comfort in hunting Mm. and harvesting animals. Maybe they didn't find comfort in the outdoors. Well, that is okay because we're not all built the same. We were designed special. Everybody has a different and unique thumbprint and Mm. that's your roadmap. And our experiences from our childhood is actually where the solution is. In every one of our experiences, we gain something. So think about spiritual warfare if you're a gym rat, think of it as like working out, for example. I think that religion and faith, there should be a really distinct line drawn between the two because I think that religion, especially due to the structure and the power that it holds because you are you're putting, basically, you're eating at the table of whatever the preacher decides to feed you, right? You're at their mercy, listening to what they have to say. And I know that it has been manipulated and has been used for evil uh, throughout history. I mean, back in 1800s with the slaves, you know, they were not able to read the Bible and they were at the mercy of whatever the preacher was telling them. And the preacher was twisting the words to make it seem like it was okay to to have slaves and that it was righteous and that it was in the Bible and that, you know, that's what Jesus would have wanted. And that is how he kept that religious power over the slaves. Yeah. And through their faith, they believed it. Yep. They wanted to stay committed to God. They wanted to stay faithful. So it's just, it's so important to be able to distinguish relationship and religion. Yep. Right. And so I think what we believe and what we try to proprietate, and that's why what we do is so unorthodox and it doesn't look like the way that other churches look like, is because we focus on that relationship. Yeah. And relationship is built over quality time. Yes. Right. And the best way to spend quality time with God is through prayer, through your Bible, and fasting. Did uh, I cut you off? No, I just... You don't like to fast. I, I don't. I Well, I do. Okay, so I just fasted from social media. Yep. And it's because I realized when I woke up in the morning, I would go on Facebook. Yep. And I realized that I was spending more time on Facebook than I was in my Bible mm-hmm. or on social media or on TikTok or whatever it was. And, you know, maybe you should try clocking your time. Clock to see how much time you spend on social media and then clock to see how much time you spend in your Bible because I think it's going to be really disproportionate. Yeah, and then how much did you physically accomplish when you were fasting from social media? So when I was fasting from social media, my grades went up, my relationship got so much better and I spent a lot more time in my Bible. I spent a lot more time at the gym. And so I think fasting is important as long as you're doing it with purpose. Um, I know that you're doing the 
warrior up challenge Mm -hmm. in january i'm not sure i'm going to participate in that (laughs) well you've done it in the past i have and i think that doing it in the past has equipped me to be able to have the discipline to do my own fast now and the difference is is that i don't necessarily feel like i need to be confined to the restraints of a specific fast i am happy and i find satisfaction in doing fast on my own throughout the year and also recognizing when you need to fast and what you need to fast exactly for example you know I, i know a lot of youth i know a lot of adults who get so drawn into the social media and the negativity of it and oh, someone coming on there, uh, one of these Facebook trolls, and they get up there and start being a keyboard bully. And, and they just start hassling you, and then you just get absorbed into it. And and, and before you know it, you, you're, your real life, your reality is being negatively impacted by somebody that has no significance in your life whatsoever mm-hmm. and, and so for us to be able to, to for us to take someone's opinion or someone's lies and deceit that they are sitting on the other end of the world or whatever the case may be and they're jamming out these these repulsive comments and ratings or whatever the case may be and, and, and for us to lose sleep over that, that's absolutely ridiculous. Well, the problem is, is that there's a couple of things. Human beings are naturally social creatures. We want to be accepted. We mm-hmm. want to be liked. We want to be part of what everybody else likes, basically. Well, it's a search for significance. Exactly. And within humanity, within yep. people. Yep. The problem is, is that because we are of flesh and because there was that line drawn in the sand way back when where we are now constantly at spiritual war with the devil, listening to his, you know, deceit and, you know, even for women going on social media or the internet or just looking outside, it's like I'm constantly comparing my body to everybody else's body. And for men, they're constantly comparing you know, what they're capable of and what their worth is based on the success of other men. Like, it's just, we are just susceptible to it. And unfortunately, that builds a lot of insecurity. And so whenever we are on social media and we're like, hey guys, look what I did. I am so happy. I just achieved my bachelor's. I'm so excited. And then that one person just jumps on there and says, I did it last year. Yeah. It's like, well, that what that does is it calls out my own insecurities. Mm-hmm. And that's why I get obsessive over it because I because that's what I think about myself. Yeah. I'm constantly fighting that. It's hard for me to be happy for myself. It's hard for me to relish in my own successes because I'm like, well, somebody else did it first. Somebody else did it better than me. So it's hard. And that is why last chapter I cautioned finding that fulfillment and that success or that um satisfaction in human beings yeah so pastor aaron from grace church in melbourne he he sent me a book search for significance and i've been reading it and one of the 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 things that's made a, a lasting impact on me is kind of this reflection of not when someone tries to call me out it, it doesn't make me insecure I, I don't deal with too many insecurities it makes me angry right it makes me kind of wrathful towards that individual for being so stupid right and that's not christ-like but Mm -hmm. it it just taps into this level of like i i I want to be able to uh 
physically defend myself because I'm a natural fighter. I grew up doing, defending myself physically. And so this search for significance, this chapter that I'm reading, it helped me kind of deal with uh, going to our recent family Christmas party. And the reason why is because I have been treated insignificantly by a family. I've been dismissed quite a bit. And so that kind of that bothers me a lot. It mm-hmm. makes me feel unaccepted, unloved. And I wanted to go there, but I didn't really want to be involved mm-hmm. because they chose to create this gap. I'm very passionate about family. You know that it's in my DNA. That's the driving factor. So uh, when my family that I grew up with becomes or makes me feel insignificant, I start to detach from them. And it's very unhealthy. And so what I wanted to try to talk about next is how to tactically maneuver past this. And I'm not going to psychoanalyze you on the podcast in front of everybody, but that is, I feel, the epitome of what I was just talking about where you know, maybe you are struggling with insecurities of insignificance. And so whenever your perspective is that they make you feel insignificant, that kind of highlights those and that makes you not really want to be around them. Um, so it's all about identifying. And that is that ties right back into the chapter perfectly is when we talk about making sure that you are spiritually equipped and your battle rattle is good. We're making sure that all your systems are good. You know what I mean? Like identify those weaknesses, identify what you're struggling with, identify what you're insecure about. And then whenever you encounter challenges like that later on, you're able to take a step back and go, hold on, wait a minute. Like, let me shift my perspective a little bit. And insecurity in that is a chink in your armor is what I'm talking about. Mm. Anger can be a chink in your armor. That is a weak point. That is an insecure part of your your facility. Uh, fear is a chink in your armor. It's an insecure part of your fortitude. You know, that's what I mean by insecurity. I don't mean like, oh, I'm insecure. Don't look at me. So when you say insecure, that, that means that the security that you have in the armor of God is actually being weakened by all these chinks. It's a vulnerable point. Yeah, they're vulnerable points. Yes. Okay, that makes that makes sense. Yeah. I was a little I was a little concerned about that because a lot of warriors aren't aren't really insecure. I mean, we're we're pretty secure in who we are as men mm-hmm. or as a woman. Mm-hmm. We're, we're pretty secure in what what we've done in in battle or as law enforcement, fire rescue, or medical personnel. We're pretty secure in that, you know, and and uh, and our ability to do the job, and even if we're struggling with some post-traumatic stress, we're still uh, not insecure in our abilities to perform, but we may be weakened, if mm-hmm. you would, by doubt. Mm-hmm. You're insecure in that decision, and it, yeah. it's not again, like it's not like oh, I'm apprehensive about the way I look today. I'm strictly talking about. This is, you know, you have your armor of God and an insecure point of that is going to be that doubt. Yeah. Something, your Achilles heel or a, a part where the devil can get a jab in. One of my biggest pet peeves is the reactive nature of healing post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. after it happens. And uh, I believe it was Frederick Douglass uh, wrote something along the lines of it's, it's easier to build uh, a strong child than to fix a broken man. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love that. I quote it in here. I'm not really sure where it is in the book, but it is a, definitely a quote. 
because he has some really good stuff. But spiritual combat training, which is what I dime it, spiritual combat training should take place before it's needed. And that's something that people just, our society doesn't get because you can't measure the effectiveness of something that's not currently needed until it's actually needed. So in other words, have a prepper state of mind. Those people who do not prepare for disaster are the people who suffer the greatest during the disaster. And the more you train, the more it comes becomes muscle memory, yeah. right? And comparing this to exercising or training or whatever, the more that you're in the Word of God, the more that you are equipped in having those conversations and, and exercising that faith, the more of a natural response it's going to occur. And I'm very particular on using the difference between response and react. It's something yeah. that I brought into my marriage is whenever we're fighting, I ask, Kyler, I'm like, please respond. Don't react to what I'm saying because a reaction tends to be a little off the cuff and it tends to be emotional. And I'm not looking for that. And and I feel that it's a really good strategy to bring into any combat situation. Well, I don't want to say any because I think reaction is useful. So that brings us to page 116 in the book, Wounded. When a warrior is wounded in the line of duty or overseas in combat, something kind of happens psychologically, spiritually, definitely physically, emotionally, morally. And what I learned is not just in my own journey through rehabilitation, but studying others and their family members is that there's a, there's a breakdown in between post-traumatic stress post-traumatic stress disorder, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, secondary traumatic stress, vicarious trauma. There's, there's, there's really a breakdown in all of the different types of traumatic stress. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because each armor that you have on that we discussed earlier plays a vital part in kind of defending yourself with or against levels of traumatic stress. And I think it's really important to note here that everybody is going to have their own battles and their own demons and, and different ways that they're wounded throughout life. It's just, it's a circumstance of life. If you live life, especially adventurously, you're going to get hurt. Oh, yeah. Um, and even unadventurously, even if you're just driving down the street, the chances of you getting hurt, they're they're still present. And I think that there is a notable difference between being injured in a combat zone, being injured in a time of really high stress and demand, Mm -hmm. and then just being injured in your day-to-day. Yeah. And the types of trauma that you deal with afterwards may be similar in foundation, but are going to have different triggers and are going to have specific variables, I guess is the word I'm looking for. There's distinguishments between each one. So although there is a foundational similarity of traumatic injury, there's different responses. And it's important to be able to distinguish that as a provider so you know that you can't talk to a combat injured vet the same way that you talk to somebody that got injured in a car accident. Yes. Because the way that they handle it and the way that you should proceed from that injury is completely different. And that's where a lot of religious leaders fall short is they think, well, you're dealing with this 
this injury. I've dealt with so-and-so has dealt with this injury. So, you know, the coverall must be a one-size-fit-all. Let's talk about it. Cookie cutter. Cookie cutter. And that's something that you complain about about the medicine world, too. The medical world (laughs) is that we tend to just say, oh, traumatic head injury. But there's a huge difference between a traumatic head injury that got incurred during an active battle Mm-hmm. and a traumatic head injury from a fall from a 10-foot ladder. So we talked about your truth, right, and how I hate that. Mm-hmm. Well, we un- unveiled that it's based on people's past experiences and your experience. Mm-hmm. You all, We also talked about the fingerprints, right? So every single person deals with traumatic stress differently based on what their experiences in life have been. And that's why... Our focus on raising up the next generation of American defenders is so important because that's our proactive approach to helping establish strong childhood roots that will help these youth, these future warriors, stand firm and be strong and resilient in the face of stress, traumatic stress. When they do face a, a situation and that's that's where we can really truly make a difference proactively but reactively we have to recognize what the childhood roots are in the warriors that we serve we have to find out what five senses we can tap into to help recover those good childhood memories to fight back against the bad or the negative memory recall from the most recent traumatic experience. And I think that human companionship, the one that we all yearn for, you know, we're all looking for that person that can be empathetic and relate to us in every single way possible. It's really hard to find somebody that has the exact same traumatic brain injury as you, that has the exact same roots as you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it's really important not only being able to identify who you're talking to when you're looking for that empathy, but also recognizing that just because you suffered from a spinal injury and I'm suffering from a spinal injury, our experiences are not going to be the same. Exactly. You can take some value from their experience because like I said, it's foundational. The fact is, is that you had a spinal injury, but it's just two different ball fields. When someone doesn't realize or doesn't have an experience with post-traumatic stress or any type of traumatic stress. They don't really fully grasp what that individual who is suffering from that is going through. And I'm going to make it very clear for you. It's like being a prisoner of war and you are taken captive by your bad experiences or that trauma you cannot get out of your head. And every time you close your eyes, you hear, you smell, you see, you feel, you taste that experience. Those five senses are triggers, but we can also use those, tr- those five senses to help heal it. But it's important for us to understand that that is why a lot of warriors isolate themselves because in their head they're isolated already they are prisoners of their war pts is imprisoning being wounded or injured during a traumatic situation like war causes internal conflict ptsd takes prisoners tortures torments and often kills our heroes like an enemy force that captures a soldier in battle pts takes spiritual pow's 
This book can be escape and an escape plan. Excuse me. This book can be an escape plan, a map to freedom. Statistics show that many who are taken prisoner by PTSD die by their own hand. In that case, should suicide be considered killed in action? I am not going to answer that because it feels more like a rhetorical question. Mm -hmm. However, what I am going to do is I'm going to drop a little teaser here because I am so excited about the prospect of you writing a second edition of this book. (laughs) Yeah. Because I am so overjoyed on the information and the map that you have provided here. But I think that someone that's fighting demons in their head is going to struggle getting through something so complex. 100%. And that's why we started this, man. We started this because... I keep driving people to this book and they keep saying, yeah, man, I just don't have time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you know what? You have time to drive and you go to the hunting stand or whatever the case may be, or you're sitting somewhere. And I think it's really about ease of access, right? So we want to be able to give someone the ability to grasp, get a hold of, and internalize the material. And we're just breaking it down as simplest form as possible. And so when I write this second edition, it's going to be warrior friendly. So that, that moves me over to PSYOPs, right? Psychological warfare. And that's a part of the book that I write, which brings up the two wolves. That's- so before we dive into psychological warfare, what is the difference between spiritual and psychological warfare? Yeah, that's a really good question, Jasmine. Spiritual warfare is more of a defensive tactic whereas psyops or psychological warfare is more of an offensive tactic okay what do you mean what do i mean so we are all talking building up to psyops we talked about defense 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 how do you defend yourself against these internal attacks Mm -hmm. we're moving now to how do you take the fight to the enemy and that's where psyops comes into play how do you take ground How do you not only defend your command center, that's in your head, but how do you fortify that and then beat the enemy back, not just for yourself, but for your family, for your friends, and for everybody around you? Okay. I'm actually excited to see what you have to say here because I believe, and I might be a little biased, but I believe that psychology is such a versatile and powerful tool because everybody, everybody has a psychology. Everybody has the way that they think. And if you can get into somebody's head and understand why and their how, then you have the upper hand in no matter what situation you're in. So I'm really excited to see what you have to say here. Yeah, I, I, I would I would love to be able to read this whole section, but I don't think we have enough time. So I'm going to leave it up for individuals that go to my book. And it's on page 120. And I'm just going to give you a little teaser here. Psychological operations or psyops involve a method of redirecting or influencing individuals, groups, or governments. The big picture name psychological warfare focuses on a shift in social thought. That's really important. So when we're taking this fight to the enemy, we're actually combating societies or the, we're combating the cultural norm. And the cultural norm right now that we as an organization is combating is that one size fits all or let's throw medicine at it. Medicine being pharmaceuticals 
or let's uh, let's use these overly complex algorithms to try to solve this when it's actually really simple. Everything that we've covered up to this chapter is what we are trying to do as an organization to influence agencies and organizations and even the big government to start taking action to simplify the product to give us control of our own health and wellness. Taking this to an individualistic perspective, though, I think it's really hard for people to want to stand against the social flow, right? Because it's just if everybody's going one way, our nature is that we want to be accepted, is that we want to be part of a team like we were just talking about. And going back to what you were just saying about, um, you know, having common ground with people, right? It's, It's hard to find those people with same values, like... For example, myself, I have a really hard time finding a girl that's a medic or in some sort of um, service industry like EMS or fire or law enforcement that is also very outdoorsy and likes to go hiking that also has, I don't know, like <laughs> a military husband, somebody that can relate to me on all these yeah on all these fields that I I need somebody to relate to me on. And so just kind of taking a stand against what I know to be right, like with everybody wearing skinny jeans. I'm not saying that skinny jeans are sinful, but I remember when skinny jeans first came out and I begged and pleaded. I said, oh, no, they were sparkly jeans. That's what they were. I said, dad, let me get some sparkly jeans. And you were like, no, those are the devil jeans. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was really hard to not want to conform to that because it's just so easy because you get acceptance, you get applause, you get, you know, friends and camaraderie through that conformity. And being accepted by your peers makes you feel like you have significance. And that's one of the things that this book that I'm reading really uh, covers is that you, you only need to have significance with God. Mm-hmm. You don't have need to have significance with your family members, your extended family members, or your friends, or you, you know whatever. But you need to believe that your life has meaning, purpose, and value. And yeah, on a personal level, hundred percent. I want to read something, and we talked about the two wolves a lot. Well, just real quick, I'm so sorry. Before you get into that, I just want to point out that all the greats are never are never applauded in their time. They're never recognized in their time. Everybody that has been anybody truly has, well, I don't want to say anybody that's been anybody, but Mozart was not appreciated in his time. Uh, Picasso was not appreciated in his time. Jesus was not appreciated in his time. So just because you are not popular does not mean you are not leaving a footprint. Yeah. You know, that's... I had this epiphany that uh, I want to really draw a picture and I'm looking for an artist to to come on to my life and say, hey man, I'm going to draw this picture for you. I'm going to paint it for you, whatever the case may be. And it's this, it's this path, right? It's this path that a lot of people are on. I mean, there's thousands of people on this road and it's a, it's like a, just a dirt road and it's a path leading through the wilderness. And then there's this little tiny trail off to the side of this path. It's very unbeaten. And this, this path leads up a hill to the foot of the cross and 
there's a select few that decide to take that path to the cross and the rest of society, the rest of people are just falling on this other path. And when I got to, I guess it's kind of a vision. When I got to the top at the foot of the cross, I looked out and saw people looking up at me and mocking and laughing and pointing. But the end of their journey led to the edge and they were dropping off into the pit of hell and it broke my heart Mm -hmm. and I could only sit there and watch and yell down to them and say take this path follow the path come this way and very few people followed and it just broke my heart and I'm really hoping to materialize this vision if you would into a a portrait because just the power of vision the power of a picture I, I really believe speaks more volume than any part of my voice or any of my words could possibly do. That illustration that you're talking about brings up a fantastic point, which is that the path unbeaten is the right one in this instance, right? And often is, is the path less taken. If you have been outdoorsy in any capacity you know that taking the unbeaten trail is a little rougher and it's a little more difficult and it's a lot easier to clear that path when you have someone out there helping you which is why camaraderie and empathy and surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded is so important and you're never going to know you're like-minded unless you extend your hand Mm -hmm. and say hey i like this do you? Because, yes. <laughs> I mean, what's the worst that happens? They say no, and then you got to start over. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To the tale of the two wolves, an old Native American fable puts it best. One evening, an elderly Cherokee brave told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside of people. He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other wolf is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about this for a minute and then asked Grandpa, which wolf wins? And the old Cherokee simply replied, the one that you feed. The one that you feed. What does that mean? Let me tell you what it means. That means that when you think about something, that's what you're feeding. It's the meditation of my heart often becomes what's on my lips. 100% and in your mind. Mm -hmm. And that right there is the essential of winning your spiritual war. If you think about having sex, you're going to want to have sex. If you think about eating chocolate cake, you're going to want to eat chocolate cake. The things you think about are the things that become you. I think that's why music is so important to watch the music that you're listening to because maybe it's just a catchy beat. Maybe it's just the words, you know, they rhyme and they sound cool. But the more you listen to it, the more it becomes part of who you are and part of your actions and part of what you're thinking about, what you watch on TV, what you choose to talk about with your friends. Those are all things that they go in your ears and they go into your heart and eventually they come out on your lips. Indeed, indeed. And that 
translates over to depression and anxiety and trauma as well. The more you linger in it, the more you think about it, the more it's going to become part of your present instead of your past. So how, right? So how do you stop thinking about something that's tormenting you? How do you think about, how do you stop thinking about what's in the future, your anxieties, right? How do you conquer your anxieties? How do you conquer your depression, the things that went wrong in your past? You did something wrong or someone died or whatever the case may be that led you, that has led you to, de- to be in a depressed state. You stop thinking about it and you just live in the moment, right? So I think something that you say in your book, I we've gotten to a discussion about this before and I, mm. I think we agree to disagree, but um, you said fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. My response was face it until you make it. And I think your, our discussion revolved around the fact that you said it was the same thing. I personally believe that's a little bit different. I think faking it until you making it can have some value. You know what I mean? Like just keep smiling. Eventually the smile will be genuine. I think facing it until you make it is more, you are embracing the fact that you're struggling with depression, you're embracing that, but you're going to keep pushing through it. Yeah, I, de- I definitely agree with you. There's a there's a fine hair there to split mm-hmm. for sure. The fake it till you make it is a phrase I picked up in the military, and it is very it's a very effective tool to help people uh, carry out their mission, even with insecurities. A word that you continued to beat on earlier in this episode. It's okay that you don't believe in yourself if you keep pushing forward and you prove to yourself that you're good to go, then you're good to go and you're going to make it. Mm-hmm. Now, facing it is like fears. You got to face being scared of climbing a tree, right? You got to face your fear of heights by jumping out of an airplane. That's what we do. We, we tackle our fears head on and the fear of failure can lead to anxiety because failure is contingent upon future opportunities. Mm-hmm. Now, it's an automatic failure if you never try. Mm-hmm. So you have to try. And in order to try, you have to face it. And in order to face it, you got to have the courage to get up off the couch, to step outside the door, to make a phone call, to reach out to somebody, to get in your vehicle and drive, and to go back to work, or to reach out to somebody, lend a hand up, and take them adventuring. I think I might have said this in a previous episode, but progress is not lateral. Yeah. And when you're dealing with depression or anxiety or any other mental game or really anything, anything that can be quantified in progress, it's not going to be lateral. You're going to have your ups and downs. And if you are on top of a mountain one day and you're like, I feel great. I feel fantastic. I'm doing really well in my life. And the next day you struggle to get out of bed. That's not bad. I mean, it, it sucks. It, it sucks. The fact of the matter is, is that it sucks. You're dealing with it. Um, but it's not not normal is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, so it's okay to, it's okay to struggle. Mm-hmm. You, you need to struggle. You need to struggle in the gym to mm-hmm. get stronger. You need to struggle in life to be better. Mm-hmm. Struggle is good. Struggle means that you're still in the fight and that you're still trying. If you're right. not struggling, then you've basically given up hope. Hope always has struggle. And, and hope will always be involved in struggle. So he, here is the, the point to overcoming suicide or overcoming anything, right? Is to embrace that struggle, to face that struggle, and to move forward. 
You know, something that one of my friends said, and, and this is, it's not off topic, but he said, I think that what everybody should strive for is contentment. I don't think that joy should be the ultimate thing that people strive for. It should be contentment. It should be you are content in your depression, you're content in your joy or your happiness. You're just content. Everybody should strive for that. And I so full-heartedly disagree. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Oh, I love it. Because I feel um, both agree and disagree. Here's where uh, you already disagreed. and we're, we're on the same page there. But here's where I do agree. Mm-hmm. There's a saying, the thief of joy is comparison. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I said that wrong. But the point is, is that if you are not content, it's only because you're comparing your life to someone else. It's comparing where you think you should be where, with where you're at now. If you stop comparing and you start accepting your life right now, and you see it as successful, and you believe it, and that you face it and say, God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the things that I have around me. I don't care if you're all by yourself. You still have something good. Hunt the good. Find that. And don't compare what you have because you have something. Even if you're by yourself, even if you're on the streets and you're homeless, even if you just got divorced, you're financially hardshipped. You've lost your job. You, you're in you're insufferable pain. You can't sleep. Even if everything is going wrong with you, you still have something good. I can definitely see the value in that. I think where I disagree is more, I feel like contentment breeds laziness. boredom and laziness. Yep. Because... If you're content, what's the point? What's the point of pushing for better or for one more? You know what I mean? You're I just... De- you know, I definitely agree with that. And that's where I I struggle with content Christians. These are Christians who show up to church, who go to praise and worship, who do their minimal part because that's all it's required to be saved is to accept Jesus. You have a desire to make an impact for the kingdom. Be fruitful fruitful and multiply. 100% is the, is the commission. Mm-hmm. Go and make disciples of all nations. And so when you have a content Christian, it really troubles my soul because that means that they have accepted the bare minimum. And I, and I don't want to be judgy here at all. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is that I'm calling their salvation into question because... I agree with you. I think it's important to, I guess, be not content. Well, I guess content with your, with what you have, but to always strive for more intrinsically. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure how to word it exactly. Well, uh, let me make a transition right here because we could go down this bunny hole and be out here for a while. Right. But let's transition to anger. Okay. Mm. So let's transition to something that I teach a lot of people, and that's how to protect your triggers. Because everybody's triggered differently. Some are triggered in traffic. Some are triggered on social media. Some are triggered by looking in the mirror. And let's define trigger before Mm. we get started, because just as 
almost every other fad. I feel that trigger, quote unquote trigger, has become the new cool thing. Everybody's like, I'm triggered or that's my trigger. And and I saw something on social media one time that said, um, your trigger is not everybody else's responsibility. 100%. And it got a lot of backlash. A lot of people saying, well, actually it is like you need to be more cognizant of people and you need to take into consideration of your, yes, absolutely be considerate of those around you. But what do we mean by trigger? Well, I always love to compare things to things that I know Mm -hmm. and I know guns, right? I know that in order for that gun to discharge, to fire, to send a projectile out of its muzzle, and cause harm, there has to be someone on the other end pulling that trigger. Mm-hmm. It has to happen. Whether that happens negligently, accidentally, or on purpose, someone has to pull that trigger. It doesn't happen by itself. Right. Before a trigger guard was put onto firearms, excuse me, there was a lot of accidental discharges. People would shoot their foot off. Mm-hmm. The reason why we start guarding the trigger is to prevent from those discharges which hurt yourself or other people. Mm-hmm. And so you take that and more metaphorically apply it to having a trigger. Here's an example. Traffic can be a trigger for me. Mm-hmm. So how do I protect myself in traffic? I have to get into a state of mind to where it's not a race, that I belong in that moment. I have to get into a position mentally that if someone doesn't use their blinker, it's okay. I can only control the things that I can control. And I think it's important to denote here that when we're talking about a trigger, we're talking about an actual trigger. We're not talking about, oh, you can't use the word moist around me because that triggers me. No, that's not what we're talking about. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we're talking about legitimate defined triggers that are associated with traumatic stress so in other words like fire and the smell of smoke can be a trigger for a firefighter struggling with traumatic stress loud sounds about pops gunpowder that can be a trigger for law enforcement officers or how about New Year's celebration with all the fireworks? That, my friends, is going to be very triggering for a lot of combat vets. So I've got a couple definitions here from goodtherapy.org. A trigger in psychology is a stimulus such as a smell, sound, or sight that triggers a feeling of trauma. From psychcentral.com, in psychology, a trigger is a stimulus that causes a painful memory to resurface from trauma. And from healthline.com, In mental health terms, a trigger refers to something that affects your emotional state often significantly by causing extreme overwhelm or distress. So we're not talking about the trigger from the word moist or trigger from whatever. A a significant trigger is what you would say, what you just said with fireworks on the 4th of July with a combat vet that had explosions going on around him or for women that have gone through sexual assaults or rape hearing about that or having that brought up around them may elicit those painful memories mm-hmm. that is a trigger that is what we're going to be talking about moving forward here yeah so 
let's well, let me let me let me re- <clears throat> exactly so let's let oh, man. <laughs> absolutely so let me read a little segment of my book here trauma and drama are the most significant considerations for suicidal ideations going on further financial hardship abandonment or rejection instability pain and a silent god are excellent excuses to quit the brain succumbs to a chemical imbalance when you're depressed or anxious chemical chaos can overrun your command center if you fail to return fire you are the first and the last line of defense our body and our mind is chocked full of chemicals everything that we experience as human beings is a chemical reaction that is taking place in our body and our mind and it is so easy and natural to be affected by chemical imbalances in our body whether that be through food or that be through stress or depression that is why grief has such a significant impact on our immune system and that's why depression can cause all sorts of health issues you know and when suicidal thoughts begin to seep in fight back with an adventure avoid triggering thoughts by focusing on the good right that is always in your midst grasp your why the very reason meaning and purpose of your existence so something really cool about the brain is its plasticity oh right and its ability to heal and form and reform and there's so many different studies out there that if you're interested in this I, i really highly encourage you to look into it because it is fascinating the different things that our brains are capable of but one thing that i will touch on now is the fact that we're talking about adventures a new adventure something new to work with it's forming in a completely new experience right which takes up room which takes up focus which takes up energy doing something for the first time is so incredible for your healing and for your brain to start reworking those networks to get you around that depression. You tell me who said this. Let me tell you something you already know. The world isn't all sunshine and rainbows. It is a very mean and nasty place. And it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. Nobody will hit as hard as life hits. But it's not how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and stay standing. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's the champion spirit. Now, if you know what you're worth, then act like it. You must be willing to take the hit and not point fingers. Cowards do that, and they ain't you. You're better than that. Rocky Balboa. (laughs) You cheated. Was it actually? Yeah. No, I didn't even see it. I was looking, but I was like, I was like, okay, why is he talking like that? It's got to be someone. So, wow, that was cool. That was a lucky guess. I didn't I didn't do a very good job representing him. That was so funny, though. I'm kind of <laughs> proud of myself. We were in Philadelphia, and I was like, I really want to run up the stairs like Rocky. And dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Mm. And I was in an Uber when he told me where it was at on the way back to the airport. And I'm like, oh, oh that's things i'm a big fan of rocky man it's uh sylvester stallone i grew up watching him he's one of my heroes and and you know if 
they say never meet your hero, so that's fine. I don't want to meet you, Rocky. It's all good. So I want to meet you, Michael Scott. <laughs> I'm afraid Rocky will try to punch me in my face, and it's okay. I I I'd take the punch by Rocky seven times seven hundred seventy seven. Just keep punching Rocky, and I'll oh. try to keep standing up. Anyways, Adrian, what? I think you just aged yourself a little bit. I did. <laughs> oh, you, you've got to watch the Rocky series. And Rambo, man. Rambo, that was so cool when I was growing up. So this these these shows, these movies, they they really created kind of my childhood um uh, formula for getting through the crap that I've gotten through. You know, it's like, what would Rocky do right now? Would Rocky quit? Would Rocky quit? I don't think so. Rocky would get back up and keep fighting. But what happens when you got to fight some big organization like the VA to get your benefits? What happens when you have to fight something where it's definitely going to be a losing battle and you're like overwhelmed and you're feeling hopeless? Well, Rocky was all by himself and had a whole police force coming after him. He even had the U.S. Army coming after him. They had concocted some kind of lie about him being in a, a rogue soldier and i'm like ooh, rah, rocky keep it up man because that right there when i watched him as a kid that made a difference in my life man i think more kids should watch rocky and rambo and i think santa remembered some of your childhood heroes and might have brought you something in your stocking today <laughs> what was that yeah, i don't <laughs> i can't tell you that skeletor or hercules was my my childhood heroes, oh. I, they were just action figures that I used to play with quite a bit. Oh, Santa, you failed them. I still have those action figures, if anybody's uh, wondering, because I'm a collector like of childhood memories. And the smell, they made a woman's perfume that smells like these action figures used to smell when I was a kid. What? So I truly believe in, this, in, this, in the power of the five senses. So when a woman walks by me and I smell that, that perfume that smells like my those action figures from my childhood, I I really want to ask these women, but then I get to thinking, man, you're going to come across as a pervert. So I'm trying to process all of this and I'm trying to figure out what this smell is and not get in trouble at the same time because I really want to get it from a wife. That's so weird. I know. It's actually proven that the five senses boost memory and stuff. Uh, even in studying, if you chew the same flavored gum while you're studying as when you take a test, it's proven to help with that memory, that recall. So there's definitely some other application to recalling that other than just healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I oh, mean, I'm having so much fun. I, I really, I really love doing uh, doing what we do and and uh, just making an impact. You know, we talked about the other day. I'm kind of feeling led to write a new book called How to Christian. And so, in this book, on page 138, I, I do talk about Christianity 101. And I wanted to read uh, a couple things here. Okay, wait, hold on. Before we get into that, what puts you in a position to be able to say I've mastered it? Listen to what I have to say. Yeah, I am the ultimate really, Christian. That's really good because I am not an authority in religion. I'm not a theologian. Uh, I'm not a professor. But what I do know is the Bible and the heart of Christ. That's what I know. And I know that Christ didn't come here to establish theology. Mm -hmm. I know he didn't come here to establish religion. I know Christ came here to set us free from all that. Mm -hmm. And if you look at Christianity 101, that's the basic tenets of salvation and that's love grace and mercy forgiveness right that those are the tenets man that and there's and there's and there's more yeah and and i don't get don't get me wrong 
I truly believe that theology is important because without theologians developing and processing the, the, the teachings of Jesus Christ, I wouldn't have the full understanding that I have now. But what I don't like is when theologians take Christmas and try to demonize Christmas because there's a lot of good that comes in Christmas. Oh, there's, because he wasn't born in winter and all that there's, stuff. Yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of anomalies mm-hmm. with Christmas being accurate. Well, you don't have to be accurate to have an effective message, right? You don't have to be you don't have to be that precise with Christianity in order to help lead people to the foot of the cross. And I believe often in our own self-righteousness that we deter people from coming to the cross because we snarl our nose at them and say, if you don't do this, if you don't eat like this, if you don't go to church every Sunday, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, I'm guilty of it. If you don't use your blinker, you ain't saved, <laughs> right? Well, that's not what I said, but that can be misconstrued how what I said. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, is that we're going to take it all down. And this is, I feel like I do have the authority to speak basic tenets, 101 Christianity. And here it is, right? Anything that does not reflect a Christ-like image cannot qualify as Christianity. This devotion is not religious. It's relational. That's what Jesus came here for, to establish relationships with him. Religion is the theological breakdown and interpretation of historical values, whereas relationships is obedience and faith in a mutually beneficial friendship. There's nothing wrong with being religiously devoted to a relationship. There are, however, rules and restrictions to Christianity that one must follow to ensure sanctification. Many confuse these guidelines as religion, but these are relationship protocols for every friendship. Relationships are gifts that require effort, and so goes salvation. There is law in all goodness and lawlessness in all wickedness. Let's cover 10 basic principles. Christians are humans too. We make mistakes, confess, own it, and try not to do it again. Forgiveness is freedom. Relinquish your jury seat and enjoy life. Theology can create segregation. Don't allow your education to foster division. Only love can defeat hate. Let me repeat that. Only love can defeat hate. Anything else is akin to shooting blanks. Remodel your communication. Speak life. Identify sin and resist it. Master your five senses. Be a caregiver for the temple of God. That's you. Nurture and tend to your body as a holy vessel. Give it proper fuel for optimal performance. Accept the gift of salvation. God forgives you. Now forgive yourself. Don't be fake. Shallow Christians do more harm than good. Follow through. Be considerate of others in all your ways. Don't be a stumbling block by the way you dress, drive, occupy space, consume matter, and so on. Is that harsh? Now, this list isn't all-inclusive. It's just an example of unacceptable human behavior that is rampant in our society today. You see it. I see it. We all see it. 
it's often triggers for people and we can protect ourselves from those triggers. Oswald J. Smith wrote, Oh, my friends, we are loaded down with countless church activities while the real work of the church, that of evangelizing to the world and winning the lost souls, is almost entirely neglected. Why do you think that is, Jasmine? I don't know. It's kind of like busy work, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like when um, teachers give you busy work and you're just sitting there like, what am I actually learning here? What am I actually doing that's fruitful and beneficial towards my education? And I think it's important to participate in church activities because it again that camaraderie it brings you into companionship and into the camaraderie of people that you have common roots with right your roots and that foundation being in christianity so it's important to partake in that and you're doing good whenever you're doing church activities most of the time but don't you know give yourself three extra points because you did the food drive. You know what I mean? God yeah. doesn't care about that. Yeah. I mean, he cares about you serving, right? 100%. But he's not keeping tally, I don't think. No. no I, so the way I interpret it is very simple, is that we are so focused on quantitative activities that we lose the qualitative impact. So how does partaking in church activities or any of that have anything to do with spiritual warfare? It's simple. It's all about gathering with those who can build you up. It's all about recharging your batteries. Because if you're put out on the front line for too long without any R&R, without any being without being resupplied, you're going to probably end up like a lot of our enemies waving a white flag and surrendering because the other side looks so much better. It's very important for us to go to church, to be involved in, in activities where there's fellow believers, because that is encouragement, and we build each other up. The problem that a lot of us face is connectivity. Have you ever been to a Gator game? No. Going to a Gator game was extremely impressive. I got there, and in just the roar of the fans, it was just a full experience that it, it was a, a kind of just a living organism. The experience that I, I got when I went to this football game was just absolutely fantastic. It was like riveting how one person joined with 60,000 other people could create so much energy in one place. And I can see why people go back time and time and time again because that energy, it helps fuel someone's devotion and loyalty to that team. And that is why going to church is important because once you are there, you are being revived and recharged and given energy to take it back out into the world. See, we're, we're not supposed to be in the church 24-7. That's not what we're supposed to do. It's important because you can't fight every battle alone. Uh, that's true. And being surrounded and partaking in activities is important to spiritual warfare because it shows you that you are not on the front lines alone. 
It shows you that there's people that are going to be by your side, that are going to be on that unbeaten path with you, that are going to be there to help you. Even if they can't be completely empathetic to your situation, they're there with you. They're standing with you. And at Tank Can, we provide that opportunity for like-minded people that don't necessarily get fed through the confines of a structured building like church. We do church through the outdoors, around the campfire, with people that have the same roots as you, that people can be a little more empathetic than those that you might find sitting in the pew next to you on Sunday morning. So, so definitely, Jasmine. I, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're really struggling. Yeah. So that's why it's important to spiritual warfare. Everybody have a good day. Bye bye. <laughs> stay, stay adventurous. Stay adventurous. <laughs> and that is spiritual warfare. Now, hold on. <laughs> that's the podcast for today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Right. <laughs> and that's how you fight your spiritual war. I'm Matthew. And I'm Jasmine. Stay adventurous.